Hey, security gang, welcome to another episode of the CISO Talk podcast. I've got a great one for y'all today. One of the first guests to ever join me when I started this podcasting journey was a gentleman who gave me a chance before anyone else did. His name's Ken Foster. At the time, he was at Fiserv. This time, he's the VP of GRC over at Fleet Corps. And Ken's going to be joining us here in just a minute. We're going to be talking about our frameworks outdated to where we are from a technology perspective. Um, Ken gave a great talk at FutureCon just literally a few weeks ago. Um, I thought it was probably one of the better talks of the year I've heard. I'm really excited to have him on the show. Really excited to have y'all hear from him. So without further ado, please make sure to subscribe. Please share today's podcast if you find value in it. Uh, check out the show notes for all the relevant links. Um, and let's get this show started because you're not wanting to hear from me. You're about to hear from the legend, the one and only Ken Foster. Here we go. From the Cyber Hub Bunker and Studio, you're listening to the CISO Talk Podcast. No sales, no bullshit, just straight talk. Straight talk. And now for your host and CISO, James Azar. Mr. Foster, good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm doing well, Mr. Azar. How are you doing? It's been, uh, you know, been way too long since we've had one of these. Yeah. So the last one we really did was Veteran November, I think, of 2020. Yeah. Right. The first one we did was, I think, around the summer of 2018 when I started the show. Yeah. That would have been right after I, uh, right after I made the move to Fiserv. Uh, yeah. Yep. So that's been, yeah, that's been a while. <laughs> you were first data then i think you were still first data yeah it was still first data back then i had still just first left data uh, back then. i had just left the CISO gig at max stadium and decided to go over to first data so yeah it's uh it's whew, time flies when you're having fun or don't know what you're doing i don't know which one applies better <laughs> but <laughs> I, I think it, it's it's having fun um because you not knowing what you're doing would be if you don't know what you're doing, then not, then all of us should just quit at this point, right? <laughs> um, but for for the audience who may be uh, hearing from you for the first time, if you don't mind, just give them a, a, a quick run through of your background because because you are a Navy brat, right? You're yeah, a Navy, I, you know, you, Navy vet. You did yeah, serve Navy in the country. Yeah, I call you a Navy I, uh, brat. I did. Yeah, <laughs> still kind of a brat, I think. Um, yeah, I spent 10 years in the Navy, um, you know, kind of traveling around the world doing, uh, you know, back then we called it information assurance, but my primary day job was to work on missile radar systems and just kind of naturally, you know, back in the, back in the 90s, the internet was a new thing, right? That we were all starting to really, uh, I mean, not new, but new to the most of the population and new using it in new ways. And, uh, you know, you start getting tapped for, hey, you figured out this computer networking thing or how to plug these things together. Uh, how about you become our information assurance officer? And me being just dumb enough went, yeah, sure, I'll take that on. Uh, <laughs> I guess it's the best way to look at that. Um, you know, got out, of the, got out of the Navy after uh, after 10 years, got into doing this full time out in the out in the out in the private sector, you know, my first job, I, I essentially was everything IT for a company for about 10 years. Um, then, then kind of decided, you know what, like I, the security thing seems like it may have some legs on it and let me go do this full time. So uh, started getting more into that and 
went back to work for the government for a little while over in uh, over in lovely Afghanistan. Got to spend a couple winters and summers over there, and you know, and then uh, come back and did my first CISO gig in Atlanta. Uh, hard to believe though that's been over ten years ago now that since I stepped foot back back in Atlanta and came back in and just solely focused on cybersecurity from that point on. Um, you know, it's been uh, been a fun ride. It, it, it's been one hell of a ride. Um, I keep going back to uh, the panel we did at that Brazilian steakhouse a while ago. Um, oh, yeah. With uh, Daniel Sergile and Ben Harvey. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, that was a great panel. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that turned into a venting session at every single vendor in the room. <laughs> well, the, you know, I, I, I hate I don't. They did, you know, and that's kind of funny, right? I normally... Uh, I like to be transparent with the vendors and I do like to give right. them honest, transparent feedback, but uh, it's unusual when you're in a room like that with vendors and they decide to actually ask you in a group of people what their opinions are. Uh, and, you know, by then I think everybody had a few rounds of, uh, of bourbon. So everybody was oh, pretty loose way, and everybody was pretty loose. Oh yeah. yeah. And it, uh, but it, you know, I actually got, uh, quite a bit of feedback after that from all the vendors who were in the room and every one of them were very appreciative of the conversation that we had because it wasn't like we were standing in front of the room yelling at them. We were giving them feedback to the questions they ask and why things work and why they don't work. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think you've heard me say this and I know other people, we owe clear and transparent feedback to the vendors, just like we expect and they owe us clear and transparent communication about what their product's capabilities are, how long it's going to take to do something, why they do or don't do what they, what their product is supposed to be doing for us. And I think if we all foster that clear and transparent conversation and be just honest with each other, it goes much better uh, in building the relationship, building trust, which the truth is, is in this industry, if we don't have trust, we don't have anything. Right, that we are built on trust, whether it's uh, <clears throat> whether it's what we're doing in our daily jobs, or whether it's the relationships we're building with our other peers, or whether it's the relationships we're building with the business, or whether it's the relationship we're building with a vendor. It all relies on trust, and if if we can't be honest with each other for that trust, you're probably in the wrong industry. <laughs> I got some suggestions yeah. of where you can go work, but we'll leave those for later. <laughs> <laughs> I hear FDX is in the middle of a restructuring. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, our, our topic for this week's episode is a, a topic I'm really been been challenged with because of the last role I was in, um, where we're, as a CISO, I had to build everything from scratch and as a service model uh, with, with APIs. And kind of you look at all the different frameworks and you realize there's nothing really made out there. And, and that got me to question is, are our frameworks outdated to what we're doing today and how business is adopting? I can't remember the last time we had a real actual framework update that really kind of represented the current kind of business technology path. Yeah, and I think we're, I think what we're looking at here is a, I do see a shift where people are trying to figure out how we're going to mature these frameworks. Um, look, having starting with a framework is better than not doing anything, 
right? Because it at least right. gives you a baseline. I think, though, you need to be intelligent about how you're reading that framework. And what it really boils back into is, do you understand your business enough? Do you understand how your company operates? And are you able to evaluate risk in a measurable way that allows you to look at the framework and what I and and really understand how that control relates to you and how it does things for you and what it's supposed to do uh, for meeting the challenges that you have today, right? It, it'd be great, and uh, I'm gonna, uh, you know, we we started out talking about trust, right? And you know, as you see this shift to thinking about zero trust or at least talking about that, it's really the same controls and frameworks that have been around forever, right? It's still based off NIST. It's still based off CIS. It's still based off whatever's out there. Uh, what you're really trying to do is risk assess your environment. Put And you may have to pull, you risk assess your environment, and then you're going to be able to look at all these controls that are available to you across these frameworks and decide on what fits best, Right. So I like to cherry pick <laughs> from different right. frameworks and go, this works really well for this segment. This works really well for this segment. Um, and I think that's where we get bogged down with the mentality of I've got a framework. I have to implement this framework. Now, are there industries where we're told that, yes, you have to do everything that is in at least XYZ or a portion of it. Let's take FISMA, for example, right? I look at the NIST framework and FISMA goes, well, you're a moderate system, so you have to do everything moderate and below. But then you've got all these optional high, you got all these high controls that are optional, but you've also got a, a very significant portion of the NIST control framework are optional controls, right? And the only way really to decide whether those controls are right for you and whether you should be a aspiring to meet those controls is whether or not you've done a valid risk assessment, understand truly what the vectors that you're going to be attacked from, where your risk is coming from, where your data lives, right? So <clears throat> I, I really think that if you, if you take the mentality of just pulling a framework off the, downloading it off a website saying, we're going to implement this, it's very outdated for the fluidity of what we do today. But if you're mature enough in the way you look at risk and the way you look at your, uh, the way you look at the overall strategy of what your cybersecurity program should be, then you can pick the pieces of that framework that you need, and you can um, you can apply them in a way that allow, allows it to be as up to date as possible, uh, and, and it allows you to be a little more flexible. And I think that's the one thing we all have to look at is how do we become risk agile. How do we build something that's agile enough that when we see a new or emerging risk that we're able to shift what we're doing and maybe refocus efforts in a in another area without being very um, without being very black and white and rigid. Uh, we need structure in our cybersecurity programs, but rigidity is probably the wrong word to use for it. Right. We need to be able to have we need to have the ability to be flexible enough to uh, move when the risk changes or when the threat changes. All right. And that's, you know, I think uh, I think this past year has been a great example of that. Right. Uh, this whole Russia, Ukraine thing threw everybody for a loop at a certain point. Right. I, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm 
go ahead and throw this in there. I'm real tired of talking about what COVID has done to us because if you haven't figured that out by now, you're way behind on the remote work part. But Russia, Ukraine showed us that you may not be aware of where all your third party developments happening, what that risk is going to do to your environment and why you now may have become a new target because of this new threat out there because you support a business or you're supporting um, you're supporting a business that may have something more to do in those countries than you thought about. And you didn't realize it in your program. And if your program wasn't flexible enough to make a shift for that, you could be in a real world of hurt. Right. So not only from threat actors over there, but you've seen the, the hacktivist part of the world fire up and go, oh, well, you're supporting Russia or you're supporting Ukraine. So we're going to attack you because we don't agree with what you're doing as a business. So. Yeah, I mean, you know, Russia and Ukraine has been one thing. Um, you know, if, if you look at, I think why our frameworks are out of date is it, it's really because of the latter of what you said, right. Which is COVID, right. Cause COVID shifted yeah. the way our businesses adopted technology and kind of, and kind of moved around with it. Right. Um, Russia and Ukraine added a new threat vector and kind of like a new, new approach to it. It, it made us rethink a lot of different things, but I hate saying you know, because, uh, you know, think if you don't know what COVID did, you're right. You're like, <laughs> you know, what what rock have you been living under uh, for right. the last, you know, two and a half, three years? Um, but but I think we're in a different, um, you know, strategically kind of looking at our, at our frameworks. You, you, you're right about two things. One, if you're trying to take it for what it is and use it for what it is, you're off base, right? You're You're clearly off base. And number two, different frameworks have different, um, they do different things for you. Um, and, and you've really got to know what you're trying to accomplish and what your business is doing to really understand what framework you want to use for specific parts of your business. You know, in your experience, it's kind of, you look at, you know, the, the difference between risk and compliance, I think is significant, even though they're kind of put in the same place, right? Compliance is one thing, risk is a whole other one, and governance is 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 the oversight of the whole thing, whole darn thing that we've got going on. When you look at kind of like the the frameworks as you look at it from sitting in your seat, what frameworks really stand out to you as being kind of more modern per se approaching rather than than kind of some of the older ones? I mean, you've seen like the CIS is now the top eighteen, right? Not the top twenty. Right. I think that's a great base to start with and i can tell you right now i'm using three different frameworks today in different parts of my of the business and of course i can't really i guess you can call pci framework although it's more of a guideline but it is becoming more of a it is becoming more stringent right so well, pci 4.0 would be a framework uh, 4.0 I mean, is definitely a framework right so and yeah, we're moving, is a framework. Uh, so i'm i'm technically using four separate frameworks today depending on this part of my business. And that's where the, that's why I'm saying the flexibility and the, uh, the need to really look at your environment segmentation becomes hugely important, right? The ability to segment parts of your business and go, we're going to follow this framework here because here are our regulatory requirements. Here are our compliance needs here. are Just the risk we have here. So we're going to use this framework because it fits the best, right? It, it, this is what fits. Um, you know, 
uh, let's take, for example, if you're doing a federal government contract and you have to do FISMA or FedRAMP, NIST is probably going to be the best thing for you to use, right? Whereas if I'm doing business in Germany, I'm probably going to do ISO, right? Because right. they recognize ISO more than they recognize NIST. Um, and then I've got areas that hold credit card data. So I'm going to have PCI, that he, the framework that that adheres to. And then maybe the rest of my environment, I look at it and after I've done the risk assessment, I'll go, you know what? The CIS top 18 fits very well here. So I'm, that's how I'm approaching it today is instead of just picking one single framework. And truthfully, it's how I've approached it in my last two roles is instead of having one single framework, put in the right segmentation and the right controls in place at a, at a, at a base level to be able to mold a framework, I guess is the best way to say it, to an area that, that it makes the most sense, right? Uh, modernization, I mean, you're seeing changes come out pretty quickly as the technology has changed, but if we really look at everything and, and boil it down, we're still talking about the same stuff we've been talking about for 20 years. It's segmentation, it's least privileged, it's access management, it's encryption, process documentation right oh and guess what those roll up into nowadays that we're calling it zero trust right yeah. so um the thing is is this is not it, it what we're trying to accomplish isn't new are there new technologies that help us accomplish it better yes right so my though if you look at the basic access control frameworks out there, they all say the same thing. No, vet the access, review the access so people that don't have unnecessary access don't need it, right? Make sure that when they no longer need the access, they no longer have the access, right? And, and, and keep it all, which all rolls into that least privilege access, right? We only give people the access they need. Well, all the frameworks say that in some way, <laughs> in the control language, right. maybe worded slightly different. So what I've been trying to do uh, for a while now, and I, I've just been fairly successful at it, is always try to build a common control framework for myself, which is where we get back into this cherry picking from the, the control frameworks. And if I can put together a common control framework for the business that says, okay, in these areas, we're using these controls and these areas, we're using these controls. Um, in these areas, we're using the same control and we can explain our capabilities well enough on what we're using to look across a common, common control framework. And I'm use access because it's the easiest one to do that with, right? Is I can, I can look at all those control frameworks, look at the way they word access control and write it out on a spreadsheet that anytime anybody who wants to come out, whether internal or external and wants to evaluate or ask me how I'm doing this from a security standpoint or from a risk standpoint or from a compliance standpoint, standpoint, I can present that in a way that says, this is how we do it. And this is why we do it this way, because we believe these are the risks that we're facing. This is what we've chosen to do to protect ourselves from this risk. And this is how we measure it. And this is how we monitor it. So ultimately we get back to the governance piece of, this is how I govern it. Right. So I have a clear right. picture laid out of, these are the controls. This is how I measure, this is how, how I govern. And then that What's way, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, please finish your thought. Nah, nah, that's fine. We're good. I was just probably going to repeat myself. So that's good. 
<laughs> you know, I wanted to ask you this because um, what's your view on MITRE? How do you look at MITRE defend and, and attack kind of versus, let's say, NIST or CIS? So I think MITRE... I think MITRE is a great way of understanding where your attack vectors are coming from, right? Or how people are possibly going to come into your system. I think MITRE is the great counterpoint to the control frame, the other control frameworks. Because if I know how somebody's going to use a certain attack path through MITRE to come in, I can then look at the other frameworks and go, well, this is how I would defend against that. So it's a tool. Right. I think it's I think it's a, I think it's a great counterpoint to the control frameworks because it gives you the ability to understand this is how they're coming in or how they're probably going to come in. And this is how I can use an industry accepted framework that I'm going to have to report to a regulator about and put it into language that they understand and say, I'm using this control to defend against this attack path. Right. And a lot of this comes down right. to how well can I explain my capabilities? Right. It, it's real easy to say, okay, I've got user access reviews. So, what the hell do user access reviews do for me? Right. What's a quarterly user access review do? If just on plain paper, if I said that, go, well, what's quarterly user access reviews? Well, they don't mean shit if people are not actually spending the effort to go in and actually look at their people and understand what their access levels are and why it's a risk if they don't go in and clean that up, right? It becomes a compliance paper pushing effort that somebody's doing to appease an auditor. But if you can get automation put in way and the ability that your people who are checking off on this actually understand what they're looking at, you can reduce risk because you're enforcing least privilege. So ultimately what I want to do is enforce least privilege. And the way I'm doing that is by making sure that people do not have access that, that don't need it. Right. But. If you're just using the old compliance checkoff of, hey, let the managers decide whether people need this access or not, and that's when you start finding out that they're they're just uh, they're just Every, checking it off. Got, they got well, everybody got gets my admin access. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you get a car, you get a car, you get a car. Everybody gets a car, right? So you've got uh, admin, you've got admin, you've yeah, got admin, admin. So you know, the, and and the other thing is, is we. A lot of this comes down to, uh, you know, and I know I talked about this at the thanks for mentioning the, the talk the other day, but it still comes down to it's a culture problem. The technology exists yeah. for the most part. Right. Granted, there's zero days and new things coming out that we haven't figured out yet. Uh, but for most of what we talk about, especially from a framework standpoint, the technology exists. Just whether right. or not we've been I mean, able to implement it implemented in Culturally. a way that it was meant to be implemented <laughs> right yeah. i mean uh, implementation is a very big word right yeah um and it's not only a big word because it's a big word it's a big word because it really is complex different environments i mean this kind of goes to what you said very early on do you know what your business does and how your business does it if you don't know how you do it, it doesn't matter what framework you pick it doesn't matter what compliance you do what check boxes you follow you're going to fail because you're not going to properly understand how your people interact. Um, well, I think you just, you just paraphrased exactly why most people fail at implementing fra at frameworks. 
Right. Because they step into a leadership role, just like you said. I came into a, you came into your last role. They had nothing, and you have to build it from the ground up, right? If you go in and just guns blazing, I'm going to throw the NIST framework on this company, and we're going to implement everything in here. Very quickly, you're going to find out a uh, <laughs> it's really damn expensive. Uh, yep. B you probably don't have enough people to do it. Yep. C you're going to piss off every partner in the IT operations side of the house and probably the security operations side of the house that you need their partnership on. And then you're definitely going to piss the business off because more than likely what, what implementing a framework. And like you've heard me say before, what we do as cybersecurity professionals is we introduce friction. And and if we are, if we come in and try to slam a framework in, that is about as much friction as we can put in there if we just come in there and say, we're going to do this. So well, we introduce resistance, right? We, we introduce, do. right? We introduce some sort of resistance. That's why I'm, you know, one of the key things I, I, I constantly try to preach about, um, especially with my teams, um, is I want security by obscurity, right? No one should know you're there, right? No one should know you're there. Like if they see security, I think there's an issue with it. People should be interacting with security. And it's a challenge I give our security partners as well, right? Like, you know, talking about your keynote address. And then after that keynote, some of the conversations and then the panel you guys had after a few weeks ago, the conversations I had with, with security partners in the building was, um, what are you guys doing? Right. Um, when it comes to making it so that my people enjoy interacting with your technology or don't even need to interact with it at all. That it's just running in the background and it's not doing anything. The days of, of, of having security pop-ups on computers are long gone. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I agree with you hundred percent. I mean, ultimately the goal and you know, I, I think you're a hundred percent correct. I, I preach about this myself. If we are doing our jobs well, there's a couple of things that are not happening, right? One, nothing's happening. And, and you know, I've, I've said this a lot of times. It's really difficult to sell nothing's happening. But that's our right. job is to make sure nothing's happening. So from a board conversation and a senior leadership conversation, the ability to sell that we're doing this because nothing's happening is a good thing, but it's a hard sell. The flip side of that is there's plenty of new technology. And I think that is some of the greatest benefits I've seen in some of the new tooling that's coming out is its ability to be intelligent about when it does pop up. Right. And that's really moving us to that risk based approach. Right. Because now we're evaluating risk, hopefully in as near real real time as possible. We are then able to say, okay, I don't need to bother this person until they have done something that changes their changes their risk profile, right? Right. Because if I'm if I'm invisible uh, and protecting people, the users from themselves, without them knowing I'm protecting them from themselves, that's that's nirvana, right? That's the utopia of a great uh, cybersecurity program. Then the other part of that is cultural education that says, hey, when this does pop up, it's not because I'm trying to stop you from doing your job. It's because you've changed enough things that made us ask a question. 
And, you know, it gets into relating it to them and go, hey, you know what? If you're protecting your kids, if your kids are at school and they normally get on the bus and come back to the bus or normally you or your wife go and pick your children up and they are the only people that pick them up. And then all of a sudden, one day, Uncle Joe shows up to pick your child up from school. You want the school to stop that and make a phone call and ask if yep. it's OK. Right. So you've got to get people to think about it in those terms, right? Because it's not that we're trying to stop you from doing your job. We're not trying to make your day harder. What we're trying to make sure is that something doesn't slip through that not only made your day harder, made everybody's day harder, as well as maybe impacted the revenue of the company or shut the company down or caused this to be on the news or something like that. So if you can get people to understand it in those terms that, I'm only going to bother you when something abnormal, truly abnormal happens. Then I think we're doing, I think that's about the best we can hope for at this point. You said it the best way. We baby proof our homes for our kids. Right. So, and our kids don't know that the house is being baby proof. They don't know why the electrical outlet is covered. They just know it's covered. Right. They don't think about right. it. And a baby doesn't well, question it. My one-year-old doesn't question it. And your one-year-old grew up with those covered. Right. They'll never ask questions about it probably until they're an adult and go, why the hell are these cars? Until they go yeah. to plug, so, until they're old enough to need to plug in their cell phone and go, why can't I plug this in there? Because they grew up with it. And that right. is where I think from a strategy and framework standpoint, if we yep. can get it into where they just grew up with it, they just, it, it's just always been that way. Then we can change the discussion point. The problem is right now we're in this cultural shift, especially with companies that have been around. It's much easier to do it in a startup world or in a new company that you're starting from ground up. And if you can step right. in from the I ground mean, that, up. That, that was just, the advantages of my last. That, that was the advantage of your last job, right? Building from, uh, building from scratch. But if you're stepping into a 50-year-old company, large enterprise, even it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what size company it is. They've been operating right. for 50 years. And now all of a sudden you're changing the way everybody does their job. You're the worst person on the planet because you're making them change <laughs> and nobody likes change. Right. And, and that's yeah, the problem. Your grandparents' is, house and changing the Wi-Fi password on Christmas. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. And that's, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I've got, I got older, older teenage, you know, above teenage now, but I got older. Hell, half the time I only see them is if the Wi-Fi goes down, you're damn right. I'm going to see them. If they lose access, <laughs> I'm going to hear about it. Well, in the CISO seat, you never want to be the person who hears about an application going out or customers not being able to do their job because of a security control or a program that you implemented or a switch you threw into the ON position. And all of a sudden, customers can no longer access what they need to access and you're no longer and your revenue impacting. You never want to be that CISO, right? And that's why we're also afraid of automated enforcement there's a lot of tools out there that can do automated enforcement a lot of things we can say i'm going to adhere to this framework and then i'm going to automatically enforce it with the tool whether it's machine learning or machine learning uh right uh whether it's or more machine but, learning yeah. or more machine learning just deeper machine learning uh but is whatever we're using there we're still not going to turn that on because we're too afraid it's going to break something that then now we have to explain to customers why we've knocked them offline. And until we get to a point where we're resilient and flexible enough 
to pull the bad system out and have a backup system ready to go. And that's when we truly can get into the automated enforcement. And by automated enforcement, I'm not talking about firing off a service now ticket. That's not enforcement. Automated enforcement is kicking a machine offline, isolating it, right? Blocking access to it. That only works if you've built a resilient enough system to know, A, one, it's under attack. B, I've got a system that's not under attack and I can currently flip it to, whether it's a hot site, warm site, just another server that's isolated in a way that allows me to do this, right? Until you've got a system that's designed like that, it's going to be impossible to fully automate enforcement down the road. And right. you're, I mean, you're, you're rarely going to be able to do that with a legacy system that's been around for a while. Right. Yeah, you're, t- you're talking about, you're talking about really a maturity of a program, which, which I yeah. think is a whole different yeah. conversation. We are, we are almost at time here and I want to be mindful of but our I listeners. Think, I will say one thing on that before we jump off here though, starting with some framework and figuring out how you're going to implement it as a strategy that's the road to maturity because once you do that, then you can start actually measuring what your true maturity level is and not based off of a, not just based off of the CMMC or any of the other maturity models out there, truly what your maturity model is, right? Because you can figure out what your maturity model is and how to measure it. Awesome. So let's get a little bit into your head here, Ken. Three questions. I want to get into your head. My buzzword graveyard is yearning to bury a buzzword today. Which buzzword are you burying? So I already threw it out there because I hate it. I, I can't stand zero trust because it's nothing new. It's it's a it is a technology that which technologies that we were already doing. It isn't a skew. You heard me tell the vendors in the room that the other day, and I am not. This is no bullshit. I hear a vendor tell me they got the magic fix for zero trust. They're done because there is no skew for zero trust, right? It it is a cultural shift with a bunch of technology that we already have, but it's really, there's a lot of it's process driven and cultural driven. It's policy driven, process driven. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's a 50, 50, right? Some people swear by it and some people despise it. A zero trust is, by the way, just for everyone listening, it is the most controversial buzzword we've had on the show. Um, it's yeah. been buried more. It's been buried around forty some odd times at this point. Uh, you know, over a hundred episodes. Forty um, percent of the time, over forty percent of the time, people bring it up as the buzzword they want to bury. Just lets you know just how, you know, whether it's a marketing, you know, ploy or not. Um, well, and I think a lot of us are burnt out on it because every time something happens in the wild. Um, whatever's in the news, uh, I'm sure you're just like me and most of your listeners are just like me. I probably have 400 junk emails in my spam box to say something about, did you see what happened? Our zero trust technology is going to seep this from happening to you. And it's like, no, it isn't. Yep. That, that's, <laughs> why, that's why I adopted David Nolan's, uh, uh, email, uh, filtering spam filtering system. Um, his is seven layers. Mine's only four. But it does it does a pretty good job of blocking stuff out. I, I typically, whenever there's a breach, I'll take that company's name and just put it in my spam folder. Yeah. So that way, anything that comes through goes directly to spam. Um, that is a good. That so, is a very very good approach. It's a solid way to approach your spam filter. Yeah. Um, so looking at your phone, what's the last song you played on it? You know, it's kind of funny. Uh, it wasn't a song that I can remember because I. 
nine times out of 10, if I'm listening to my phone for music, it's uh, like a Sirius XM app. Uh-huh. And so I was listening to uh, uh, their turbo radio station, which is 90s kind of heavy metal, hard rock, okay. like early 90s, uh, late 90s, early 2000 kind of. So it was probably they play a lot of Rage Against the Machine, a lot of Metallica. So that was probably the last thing I listened to on my phone. <laughs> You know, if, if the beard didn't give it away, folks, the beard definitely just, you know, what you just said, just gave it away. Um, yeah. and, and our final question for this show is if you, what's the last book you read or the book you're reading right now? So the last book I read, I just finished not too long ago in the blood, which is in the terminal list. It's the latest book in the, in those book in, in those, that series, um, which, uh, I can't recommend. I mean, fiction but uh, for those of us have uh been around some of this for a while it's uh there's some there's some real real things in there and it's just interesting so it's uh in the blood by jack carr can't recommend his books enough i've i've enjoyed i've enjoyed that entire series i do have queued up uh i do have queued up uh scars and stripes by tim tim kennedy um and then you know, so I'm, I'm, I try to listen to, or listen or read a book <laughs> when I can. Yeah. Uh, so that that's quite normal. I, I've tried the listening thing on books. I can't do it. I've got to read, right. I've got to, you know, I, I've, I've moved the couch next to my window here and I'll open the so window. I have, I have, I have found it depends on the book. Like the problem I have found, like, I, I will tell you, there's another book I've been trying to listen to. Uh, and it was a cybersecurity book. Uh, it, it's basically on digital transformation. I'm finding it incredibly difficult to listen to. <laughs> uh, I think yeah. I'm going to have to break down and actually read that book on paper because it's it, if something about the way that information is being delivered. It's much better on uh, it's much better on print in print than it is in the in the audio side of it. Uh, but I found that like the Jack Carr books, I can listen to them pretty well because I can, I can just put headphones on and do whatever I'm doing and, and listen to it. Uh, when, when, when we don't have calls, right? We, we don't have calls. <laughs> we don't have calls. You'd think I'd be tired of wearing a headphone since I have one almost permanently implanted most of the time in my ear, but yeah, it's, uh, when I can do it. And that's the other advantage of it. If I'm sitting at my desk, just working, um, working on documents or writing something or doing something like that, I can have the audio book running in the background and listen to it. And I've, yep. as many people who've worked with me or around me, my team has always told me I have a unique capability. And my wife has told me this too. I have a unique capability of being able to listen to two conversations at one time and pay attention to both of them and answer both of them. So uh, it's just, I, I can, I, I, I enjoy I, doing that. I, I will say this, um, COVID has changed the way I do scheduling for meetings now. Um, I will, you know, being double and triple booked and quadruple booked sometimes in, in meeting slots, I'd be able to come in and be like, all right, I'm here. You've got me for three and a half minutes, go. And typically yeah. I can solve stuff in that period of time. Um, but yeah, awesome. Ken, thanks so much for being on the show. Folks, well, thanks James, so much for I appreciate for you having me. Um, Ken's link to his LinkedIn is, is in the show notes, by the way, if you guys want to connect with him, please don't spam him. Be respectful. Give him some feedback on this episode in the comment section, by the way. Um, 
and, and, and five stars to this episode. Thank you, Ken, for taking time to be with us here today. Thank you all for spending the last 40 minutes here with us on the show. Really do appreciate you. Um, please make sure to subscribe. Brand new season. Really fun. Um, thanks for tuning in. We'll be back with another episode next week. Till then, have a great rest of your day. Stay cyber safe. Thanks, everybody. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends and colleagues. And get all the latest information at cyberhubpodcast.com. 